you would open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, our scripture this morning will be chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. That is Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul explained the reason for the Christians pressing forward or striving to toward the mark for the prize of the high calling uh, of God by which they had been called, Philippians 3.14. Paul made the statement that it wasn't that he felt like he had attained heaven or that he was already perfected or completed because he was still on earth. He was still striving toward that mark. But he said he pressed toward that goal of the high calling of God because he he was called like we are called by the gospel of Christ, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. And he made the statement in verse 20 of our passage that our conversation, now what that word intends is citizenship. Our citizenship, speaking to Christians, because that's to whom Paul was writing, the church at Philippi, our citizenship is in heaven for which we eagerly wait. Now, it means something to have citizenship, doesn't it? Let's take, for example, our own nation. We're coming up on July the 4th, the birth date, we might say, of our great nation. And it is important for many people in the world to strive to make their citizenship here, isn't it? A lot of people in the world want to become citizens of the United States, or at the very least to become uh, legal residents here, long-term residents, whether they go through the naturalization process of becoming a citizen or not, it is still important for them. I think outsiders appreciate uh, American citizenship sometimes greater than uh, the people of our own nation appreciate it. According to the Pew Research Center, there are more than 40 million people living in the United States who were born in foreign nations. Now, of that 40 million, almost 25% of those are here illegally. Now, that's wrong. We're not supporting that at all. It's wrong to go to a nation and break their laws. I've been to India, Singapore, Japan... I've been to uh, Indonesia, and not one time did I break their laws because I had respect for their sovereignty. Now, a lot of their laws are different than our laws, but I still obeyed those laws while I was in their nation as far as it did not contradict God's law. But the point is, it is so important to the people around the world to have their citizenship here in this United States that they'll even come over here illegally. That's the point of uh, uh, making that statement. We don't support it. They don't need to be here. But it is important because citizenship is important. 
On July the 2nd, 1776, the 13 American colonies signed a Declaration of Independence from England. And ever since that has happened, and it was ratified on the 4th, we have celebrated every single year. We simply call it the 4th of July. But it's the birth date of our nation. Now for some 200 and something years, we've been celebrating that. Now, the 4th of July is a national holiday. And it's one of the greatest national holidays that we have. We get to celebrate and honor our nation. That doesn't mean we agree with everything our nation is doing. In fact, I disagree with probably a majority of the things that we're doing as far as our politics is concerned. But I appreciate and love that I am a United States citizen. The greatest nation that has ever existed in the world, the, the, the greatest benefactor of people that has ever existed in the world, is the United States. And God has blessed those of us who live here with that uh, blessing of being citizens here. Wouldn't it have been awful to have been born in, a, in an oppressive society like Iran or Syria or Iraq or any of those other Muslim nations that oppress and, and murder their own people? Sure it would have been. It's bad enough to live in such a great nation that we have here that allows the murder of unborn children and promotes the idea of homosexuality. We disagree with those things, but we still live in the greatest nation in the world. Each year, people all over this country prepare for and participate in all types of celebratory activities when it comes to the 4th of July. We go on picnics. Politicians make speeches. We have decorations throughout the nation. Patriotic songs are sung, and of course, fireworks are seen far and wide. Now, my girls, they never went to just one fireworks display. Their mother would locate five or six of them throughout pretty close to the area and would go see fireworks. You know, it was a big deal. We looked forward to that. They looked forward to that. But anyway, uh, it was it's a big deal, isn't it? It's a big deal to have citizenship. And we need to honor that. But have you ever asked why? Why is it a big deal? Why is it important? Simply that's the answer, isn't it? Because it's important. It's important. It means something. We need to have pride where our citizenship is. Again, doesn't mean we support everything our nation does, but we need to have pride. And since it is important, it deserves a little work, doesn't it? It deserves a little effort. And we ought to display that work in that effort. After all, there are so many nations around the world that do not enjoy the freedoms we enjoy in our own nation. Now, as great as that independence is, there's another independence that is far greater. And that is spiritual independence. The title of the sermon this morning is Gaining Our Independence. The Apostle Paul celebrated spiritual independence with those in Corinth. If you'll notice 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 9, Paul made a statement. He said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, Be not deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God." How did that come to be? Because they became citizens of heaven. Their their conversation was in heaven. They lived according to the laws of God. God is a sovereign ruler of all things and we have to live according to His laws. And that's exactly what they did in Corinth. They used to live according to other laws. But not any longer. They changed. They became citizens of heaven. They obeyed the gospel plan of salvation. We talk about that a lot. We ought to talk about it. They had to, much like the people of the world who want to come to this nation, they first had to hear about how great this nation was, right? How how was it that people on the other side of the world came to want to be members of the United States? They heard how great it is over here of the great freedoms. And that's what happens when we become Christians, when our citizenship is in heaven, we learn about how great it is. We read about it. We see how it changes the lives of people, and we believe what is said. The Bible can prove itself to be true, whether it's inside or internal evidences or external evidences. The proof is there. We can prove the Bible is inspired by God, and as we read that text, we understand the statement's made in it are true, and we have to have that faith in God because we believe that the benefits of heaven are unmatched. When we understand that our citizenship in heaven is something that we should have and something for which we should strive, we'll do the necessary things, right? You can't get to heaven illegally. There'll be no illegal residence in heaven Only those who go through that proper process will be in heaven. Faith that what we read is important and that it is true. We believe what the Bible says, John 8, 24. Going through that process, much like going through the the process of becoming a citizen of the United States when you have been a citizen of another nation. You have to go through certain steps and sometimes that takes a little while. We have to understand repentance is necessary. You see, I don't want to be a citizen of the world any longer. I want to turn around. I want to be a citizen of heaven. And we call that repentance, Acts 3.19. We turn our direction, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Anyone who becomes a citizen of the United States must raise their hand and swear an oath to this nation, to our flag to uphold the Constitution upon which this great nation was built. And we do something very similar, don't we? We confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then we're immersed in water. The final act of becoming a citizen of heaven. Washing our sins away, Acts 22, 16. Once a person stands up and he... He swears or she swears to be a citizen of the United States. They could stop right then and they could leave. And that doesn't mean the process is complete. 
There are documents that have to be filled out. There are documents that have to be signed. So you have to go through the complete process. You can say with your mouth, I swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States and then leave. And then it stops right there. It doesn't mean you're a citizen of the United States. You have to complete that process. The same thing is when we become Christians. Those people in Corinth had long been under the bondage of sin. They chose to get out of that sin. They wanted to get away from Satan. They wanted to declare their independence from sin. But how did they go about doing that? I want us to notice for just a few moments that they first aspired to gain their independence. You have to want something before you can get something, right? In other words, there has to be a goal in mind. What was their goal? Their goal was to get out from under the bondage of sin because they had learned in a document, an inspired letter, what they needed to do to become Christians. In their aspiration to become independent, physically speaking, the American colonists had a goal in mind. They wanted a better life, didn't they? They wanted better than what they had. They were under the yoke of bondage. They were under the threat of tyranny. And they didn't want that any longer. They certainly didn't want it for their children. So how is that different from Christianity? People have to come to understand, We want. I want a better life. I don't want to be under the yoke of bondage any longer. Jesus said, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. We have to recognize there's something better. We don't want bad for our children, for our loved ones. We want something better. But what we have to do is we have to understand that whatever it is in opposition, that's not working. It's just simply not working. When you wake up in Iran, they don't wake up every morning. There's no way I can be forced to believe that the majority of those citizens wake up every morning saying, thank God I'm a, a citizen of Iran. I have all these wonderful freedoms. The, their, their women not even allowed to drive. Just recently in Saudi Arabia, they made it legal for women to drive. In the Muslim religion, they support beating your wife so that you can keep her in line. What's that all about? That's in opposition to what God teaches. If the goal we aspire to attain is a better life, we need to ask a few questions. Of what does a better life consist? Well, I know what people who want to come to this nation, they understand what a better life, of what a better life consists. You don't have to worry about starving. You don't have to worry about getting medical attention. You know, I don't understand why people look around and they want to change the things that are fundamental to this nation to like nations around the world. A close friend of mine, well, we know him, Barry Hatcher, just called, uh, spoke with him the other day, one of the, uh, the, uh, the sister to the director of the school, wife of one of the instructors, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Well, they have socialized medicine in Indonesia. So what happens is, you just wait in line until you're ready to die, and then they start looking at you, and it's over. So what they decided to do, they couldn't do that, so they just pay for it themselves. 
$25,000. So all the brethren all over Indonesia, they came up with a little less than half of it. The brethren in Malaysia said they would take care of the rest of it. Now, there was a little bit of money was raised here in the United States, but not much. They believe in taking care of their own. And so they were able to give her the treatment that she needed. She went through a mastectomy the other day. She's doing better. Thank God for her and for for that opportunity, and we pray for her health. But why do we want to change something that is so great? I don't see people standing in line to go to Cuba for socialized medicine. This isn't a political sermon. We're making the point why we want to change something, right? Why do people want to change the citizenship requirements for being a citizen in heaven? It doesn't make sense, does it? We have to understand of what does a good life, a better life consist. And when we determine what that better life is, we need to make that application. When we can get out from under the yoke of bondage of sin, that's what we need to do, isn't it? Most people would agree that that we want happiness and peace in this life. And if you live in the United States of America, you can have, for the most part, happiness and peace. But here it is the problem. Most people are not trying to determine of what that better life consists. Happiness and peace, the most profitable nation in the world that has ever existed. And people confuse profit and money and things and, 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 of that nature with the source of their peace and happiness. That's not the source of peace and happiness. There are a whole lot of people I've met around the world who are at peace and are happy even in circumstances that are not peaceful nor happy, but they still have peace and happiness. Jesus said, Luke 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Paul talked about the peace of God, Philippians 4, 7, that passeth the understanding of the world. The world doesn't understand how someone who is under physical bondage, someone who's been mistreated by a tyrant country, how they can have the peace of God, how they can have peace in this life. It passes their understanding, goes right over their head, we might say. Paul found that in whatever state he was content to be happy, to be joyful. He wasn't happy in prison. He certainly wasn't happy on that trek to have his head cut off. But he had the peace of God. Because he knew the afflictions of this life, he said, are just short. See, we need to understand what of what life consists. You have to have a goal. Then you have to have grit. Now, this grit we're talking about means firmness of mind or spirit, undying courage in the face of hardship or danger. That sounds like Paul, doesn't it? That sounds like Peter. That sounds like the other apostles, the first century Christians. Uh, we read about in Revelation, they had this true grit. They had an unyielding faith, an undying love for God, and they would give themselves physically to maintain their citizenship in heaven. I want to be that way. I read that, and I'm encouraged. And I think, what can I do to try to live up to that? I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could live through what they lived through. But it's encouraging. We have to have that grit. The, the American colonists had grit, didn't they? 
Everyone who signed that Declaration of Independence died destitute. Almost all of them did. Almost every one of them gave up. They lost their fortunes. They lost their land holdings. They lost their lives. They lost their families. But they had to grit. They knew that was better than living under a tyrant. The enemies of God are greater in number than Christians. So we have to have the grit to continue. That's why Jesus warned, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. There are many that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few be there that find it. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. We have to have the grit to say, I want the narrow path. I want the restricted way. I want the... The easy way isn't always the best way. We should never allow life's circumstances to discourage us to the point where we just give up and hand it over to Satan. Those American colonists could have done that, but they didn't. To gain independence, we must first aspire to have independence. Then we must accept independence. We must accept it. There comes a time in every battle when we have to decide. Do I continue or do I go back? Up to that point, the colonists, all they had done was talked about independence. They had to make a decision. Are we going to move forward? Or are we going to kill this right now and just go back to, to the way it was, the easy path? Up until the point that they moved against the English government, they could have stopped. They could have stopped. So they had to decide whether or not what they wanted to accomplish was worth the effort and the consequence. You know, I don't think that we would agree with everything those founding fathers did. But thank God for them. Thank God for them that we live in a nation that chose the hard path. Thank God for our Lord that we can be citizens of heaven because He chose the difficult path. He chose the hard path. He didn't go the path of least resistance. And Jesus talked about that concept in the parable of counting the cost found in Luke 14, 28-32. You sit down, I want to accomplish this. Is it worth the consequences? Is it worth the effort? Do I have enough grit to be able to do that? I have to decide, right? I have to decide. Any person who obeys the gospel has to do the same thing. Can I carry through? Because you can't get halfway and then just go back. What would have happened to the to those who started down this path of independence in this nation? They lived a lot longer than they would have if they had just said, okay, we're, we're going to stop. We're going to go back. We're just going to make it like it used to be. Now, it's too late at that point, isn't it? You've angered the crown. You've made the tyrant upset. Now, he's going to punish you. And the same thing can be said in Christianity. When we look at a statement that Peter made, he talks about returning back to the world. He says, like the proverb, the sow who was washed is wallowing in the mire. The dog has turned again to its own vomit. They had escaped the pollutions of the world. And then again they are entangled. It is better for them not to have ever known the way of the Lord than to go back. 
see, that's the same thing happened with these colonists, wasn't it? Once you decide you have accepted independence, you have to maintain that. You have to keep going. You cannot stop. Moses was willing to do that, wasn't he? The writer of Hebrews talks about him, Hebrews 11, 24 through 27, about how by faith he forsook Egypt. He gave up the greatest thing that was going on in the world at that time. The richest, most powerful nation. He would rather suffer affliction with his brethren than to live in a palace. And thank God for that. The vast majority of the American colonists quickly decided the cost of independence is never too high. Never too high. We need to do that in this life. The cost of our citizenship in heaven is never too high. Anything we can gain in this world pales in comparison to what we can gain in heaven. We have to decide and then we have to dedicate ourselves. We can never back down we have to give ourselves wholly dedicated to the fight to continue to maintain that independence Nathan Hale said I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country I don't think he would have changed anything do you I think he would have done it over and over and over because he understood how great that was we need to look at Christianity that way There's nothing weak about Christianity. The strongest people in the world are Christians. Now the world's not going to tell us that. The world's going to tell us that the the weakest people in the world are Christians. They just let everybody push them around. No, we don't. We stand firm. We fight for what's right. It's not the pathway of least resistance. It's the most difficult pathway. I can identify with these founding fathers. I don't think you would have changed anything. How many people on their deathbed say, Boy, I wish I'd worked more, spent less time with my family? How many people say, I wish I'd been at the office longer than, than interacting with my friends and loved ones? How many people say, Boy, I wish I'd spent more time in the service of Satan than I had in the service of God? Nobody says that. But see, the time to make those decisions are right now. That's the difficult time to do it. That's what the colonists did. That's what Christians do. I want what's over there, not necessarily what's right here. And we have to work for that. That's what Jesus did. Matthew 26, verse 39, He said, Oh, my Father. Now let's get into the context of this. He's praying to God. Luke described it sweating as if it were great drops of blood. Agonizing. Stressed because of the things that are happening. He said, Oh, my Father, through great tears and crying, the writer of Hebrews said, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I would, but as thou wilt. Now think about that for just a moment. We're going to move on. I don't think there's anything that I would not give a child of mine if they came up to me crying and begging for something. They were hurting. They needed some relief. 
But God loved us so much. The Lord loved us so much that He said, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to take the hard way. I'm glad that my citizenship in heaven didn't depend on me making that choice. I don't know that I could have done it. We're told He endured the cross, despising the shame. Hebrews 12.2 Luke said He went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem, because that's where it would all end, on Calvary. He wanted to make it possible so we could gain our independence from sin. How do we do that? To do that, we have to aspire to have independence. We must accept that independence. And finally, we must abide in it. We have to watch, don't we? Do you know what they call the, the War of 1812 other than the War of 1812? You know, that was always a, a trick question when I was in school. When was the War of 1812? Most people don't get it. They miss it. Oh, I don't know. When was the War of 1812? They call it the Second War of Independence. You know why? Because England didn't give up. A few years after 1776, and the battle began to rage, they were upset that they had lost these, this colony of people, or these colonies of people. They had lost all that uh, opportunity to make money, and so they said, we're going to go back and, and retake it. They burned the White House down. But do you know what the people of the United States said? It's not going to happen. They rose up, they fought against that same nation that they had defeated before to gain their independence, and they were watchful over that independence. That's exactly what Satan does. He does not care about the world. People who are not Christians, he has those people. He gets angry every time someone leaves the world and places their citizenship in heaven. You know what he does? He said, that angers me. I want to go back and retake that. So we have to watch. We have to watch. We have to be careful. We can never sit back and think that we have it made. He doesn't have to focus on the world. He has to focus on Christians. Trying to get them back. Christ admonished, Matthew 25, 13, Watch therefore, for for you know neither the day nor the hour, when the Son of Man cometh. We have to watch for that. We have to watch over our souls. We have to maintain. We have to be vigilant. Why? First Peter 5, 8, Because the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not going to give up. Wouldn't it be a shame to lose our independence after having fought so hard over that period of time during the Revolutionary War, given all that, all that blood that was shed, all that blood that was lost on the battlefield only for 30 years later to lose it all again. Well, it wasn't going to happen, was it? That's what makes this nation the greatest nation or one of the things the world has ever known. And that's what makes a Christian the strongest person who lives in this world. Christians live as soldiers of the cross and that means we don't just watch over our independence, we work to maintain it. That's what the country did, and that's what we have to do.
Again, 1 Peter 5, 8, beginning with verse 8. Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil has a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist in faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, but that God of all grace, who hath called you unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect or complete, establish, strengthen, settle you. We have to work. We're not working our way to heaven, but we're working within the requirements that God has given us. We're working to be watchful. We're working to maintain our faith. And just like the colonists resisted the mistreatment of England, we resist the mistreatment of Satan. We want to get out from under the thumb of that tyrant. We want to stay that way. Paul said, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. There are certain things that we have to do to gain our independence, and there are certain things we have to do to maintain our independence. We must aspire to eternal life. We must accept the methods that Christ has put forth to become citizens of heaven, and then we must abide in His teachings. We talked about how to do that, how to become a Christian, how the alien sinner, the person who's not a citizen, the steps to that, that has to be gone through to become a citizen of heaven, faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. Sometimes you step outside of the realm of heaven, you go back into the world, but unlike... This nation, did you know, and I wasn't aware of this until some time back because the concept had never entered my mind, some people have just simply given up their citizenship to the United States. I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Why would someone do that? You know what's more ridiculous? What's more uh, disturbing is that someone would give up their citizenship in heaven and go back to the world. Well, God has made provision for that. We can repent of those things, confess our sins to Him publicly if necessary, and He'll let us come back if we ask Him to forgive us. That is the part of abiding in our citizenship. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, if you want to gain your independence over sin, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.